Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Open up to Genesis chapter 1, and while you're turning there, let me just pray for us briefly. Lord Jesus, we love you. We are very thankful for your love for us. And out of a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, we want to be uh, the most godly men that we can in our business relationships, in our church roles and responsibilities, in our families. Lord, in whatever our hand finds to do, we want to do it with all our might Uh, We want to work as unto the Lord. And so I pray for these next few minutes as we talk about this passage that you would give us wisdom and uh, courage and strength and motivation, uh, even if these are truths we've heard before, to be faithful in the task ahead of us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let me just read from Genesis a little bit, and I'm going to jump around to kind of just get the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, start in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And then if you'll flip over to chapter 2, skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Skip down to verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then into chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, that would be the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then down to verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, human beings, men and women, were made to reflect the image of God. And we're going to focus on manhood today because that's what I was asked to speak on. We're all men. okay? And there's a lot of confusion in our culture today about this whole thing of gender. Uh, probably for many of us, certainly the, the older you are, I would assume this is true, there might have been years where you would read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and there's the emphasis on, well, God made a man, God made a woman. And it's almost like, no, duh, obviously there's men and women. But now you see, it was pretty wise of God thousands of years ago to make such a big deal about the distinctions between male and female God knew there would be a culture as crazy as ours one day that would try to confuse the genders and the sexes, okay? Now, nothing that I'm going to say today is about trying to say which one of the sexes is better, right? This is not going to be a rah-rah, men are better than women, because the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, Jim Boyce, longtime pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, he at one point said, men are absolutely superior, 
at being men. And women are absolutely superior at being women. Okay? And so we're going to try to talk about those differences this morning. All right? Now, if we wanted to address this at, from a scientific perspective, which I don't, right? Just even having UAB students here is intimidating in one sense. There's almost certainly somebody here that knows a lot more about science than I do. Okay? But I know this much. If we wanted to talk about it from a scientific, scientific perspective, what is a man? He has an XY chromosome, right? If we want to talk about it from a more philosophical standpoint, there, there's a, a philosophy professor at the University of Texas. I like to read some of his stuff, and he has this great little summary. He just says, listen, what is a man? A man is a potential father. You may never actually be a father, but you at least have the potential to be a father. Here's what we want to talk about this morning. Spiritually speaking, what does it mean to be a man? Okay, now... Um, there's a, there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that probably many of us are familiar with where Peter is exhorting husbands, right, to be patient and gentle and loving and understanding with their wives. And he says, she's the weaker vessel. So at the, at the bare minimum, God has given men more strength. Now what all does that mean? We could get off on talking about that. But even in the most minimum way that you could define that, men have more physical strength. And part of what we see from Genesis chapters 2 and 3 is that God has given men more spiritual responsibility. That is not to say that women don't have spiritual responsibility. But, you, but really, you track it not just from creation, but the whole Bible story. Here's my best kind of bottom line summary. God has ordained that men would bear the heavier weight of spiritual responsibility, primarily in the church and in the home, Right? Eve technically sinned first, took the forbidden fruit. Adam stood there like a passive little boy. But when God came calling, he didn't call both of them. He called Adam to account first because he was responsible. When God told Adam the prohibition, don't eat from this one tree, Eve had not been made yet. And there's no record that God ever repeated the command to Eve. And the implication is Adam was supposed to hear the command, learn it, remember it, teach it to his wife, and then enforce it in the garden, and he failed, and that's why God came calling after him. Men are given more responsibility, specifically when there's a danger, when there's a risk, when there's a conflict. I mean, literally, I love this passage. I probably, no exaggeration, have studied it dozens of times, taught on it dozens of different times and ways, but here's something recently that has struck me. God didn't just give this prohibition to Adam kind of randomly. And it wasn't just a test, I think, it, although it was that. God knew that Satan was going to come a-knocking probably the very same day and attack him in this point. And God was speaking to Adam to say, you better get ready for a fight that's coming. Now, this is kind of a side note. This is not what I came to talk about, but it's an important one. Guys, your daily time alone in the Word, that's in a sense what it ought to be. I'm going to enter a conflict today. I'm going to be tempted spiritually today. So I'm not just checking the box by reading my Bible. I'm trying to hear from God in a personal fashion to prepare me for the temptations that I will face later in the day. And Adam didn't do it well. So when we talk about bearing responsibility, what do we really mean? Here's two, again, just kind of bottom line ways that I like to talk about. What does it mean to bear responsibility? One thing it means, own it and then finish it. Right? So if you're a student and you're like, i got to register for summer classes and I haven't figured it out yet, you say, I own that. I take that responsibility. I will get registered for my summer classes. And then you actually finish it. You actually do it. You don't just call your mom and say, I tried, it didn't work, so I gave up and I played Xbox. Right? <laughs> you, you own the task and you finish it. 
Okay? Here's another way to say it. You can say, taking responsibility says, hey, I'm going to accomplish that or I'm going to die trying. If you were in the military and they said, defend this hill, you say, yes, sir, I take responsibility, which means I will do my best to defend this hill, and if I can't, it'll be because I'm dead. That's the way men ought to think about responsibility. Now, when it comes to this greater strength that God has given us to bear a greater responsibility, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's the ditch over here of abusing our strength, or you could say overusing our strength. And there's the ditch on this side of the road that would be underusing our strength or kind of abdicating our responsibility. And both are bad. But as we go through this this morning, I probably am going to talk more about the ditch over here. And here's the reason why. This ditch over here of abusing our strength is evil. And we know it's evil. And even our insane culture knows it's evil. They get that, right? If a man abuses his strength, beats his wife, say, screams at and cusses his girlfriend, verbally takes advantage of her, we know that's evil. And even the guy doing it knows it's evil because he probably doesn't tell anybody else he's doing it because he's ashamed of it, right? Where's the ditch on the other side of the road of kind of being a lazy bum? Well, you know, I'm married up. I got a sugar mama. And, you know, she works. She pays the bills. I just stay at home and drink beer and fold laundry and watch TV. Uh, I mean, I've heard people make jokes like that, like it's kind of acceptable. But really, it's just as evil. It's just as deadly. And we're just not always as clear how bad it is. Okay? Uh, John Piper, many of y'all be familiar with him, great Baptist pastor up in Minneapolis for a long time. And he said when he first went to Minnesota to be the head pastor of this church that he thought the main problem that he was going to have to deal with with men was them being abusive. Maybe not physically, but, but with their words, with their attitudes, being domineering. And he said, by and large, the main problem that he faced with men in his church was they were passive. They were lazy. They let their wives lead spiritually and carry the major burden, and it didn't work. So, three points for this morning that I want us to talk about. Okay, What does it mean to be a man? The first thing is this, it means to provide. Okay. Notice, when God first made the man, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, He put him in the garden to work it. Men are made to work. We have more strength to work, not just to provide for ourselves, but to produce and to provide for others. Okay, some of you all have heard me share this before, uh, but I think it's helpful, so I'll share it again. I have one daughter. She's only 15 right now. She's not really dating, praise the Lord, but I know it's coming. And at some point, probably some little boy is going to knock on my door you know, and say, I love your daughter, I want to marry her, and I'm really going to have three questions for him. That's all. I've thought about this a lot. Now, by then, I probably will have a trillion questions, all right? But right now, here's the outline at least. i got three. got to love Jesus, right? I want to make sure he's a Christian. Number two, got to love my daughter. I don't want you going into this thing begrudgingly. I want to know that you love her biblically. But then third, got to like work. You don't have to love work, okay? I don't want you to be a workaholic, but you got to like it. Because part of what it means to be a man dealing with a daughter or any child is, I provide for her. I take care of her. And if you want to come and get my daughter to marry you and live with you, you get to foot the bill, okay? And women ain't cheap. And I don't want you living in my basement, okay? Now listen, please, please hear me, guys. This is important, okay? Because I'm trying to be as biblical as I can, not as patriarchal as I can be. The Proverbs 31 woman, she worked a lot, and she worked outside the home. The Bible doesn't say that all women have to be barefoot and pregnant. 
Here's the thing, though. I have known some very high-minded, career-oriented women, right, doing the residency and the whole thing and getting their Ph.D., and when they have that first little baby, you know what they say? I'm done. I want to stay home in a rocking chair with this little one. And I think what a real man says is, okay, if that means I have to work three part-time jobs to make it work so you can do that, I will do it. Now, let me be real careful here. That would be the ideal. That would be the goal. We don't live in an ideal world. We live in a broken, messed up world that doesn't always work out the way that we want it to work out. But if you don't understand the ideal and the goal, you don't even know what to aim at. And the aim is that a man bears the heavy responsibility to provide for his family. That, that None of this is about holding women back, holding women down, saying that they can't work if they want to work. It's about more saying, if they want to be a stay-at-home mom, that you say, I'll bear that heavy responsibility, I'll make it happen. Okay? We may not have a bunch of Lexuses in the driveway, but I'll make it happen so you can stay at home with the baby. Now, some of y'all may say, that sounds a little harsh, that sounds a little Old Testament to me. Let me tell you about the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Just listen to this, okay? In verse 6, he says, Now, we command you, so it's not optional, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. You know, anybody that's just a lazy bum, just stay away from them, ignore them. And not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's in the Bible. Hey, now, aren't there exceptions? What about somebody that's not able-bodied and they need wealth? Yes, there are exceptions. Okay? The exceptions just serve to prove the rule. And if you look outside and you see all these homeless people and you're like, but some of them, they're mentally ill and they got problems and they can't work, great. The most compassionate thing you can do is get a better job and make more money so you can provide for the people that are genuinely hurting and can't provide for themselves. But don't go on the dole just because you can Okay? And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But part of what I love about this is Paul, he was a missionary who spent so much time and energy praying, fasting, studying the Bible. And then it's like, you know what I did in my free time? I went and made tents so I wouldn't even have to raise support. That's pretty convicting to me personally. Paul was not a lazy bum. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, okay, Paul says to the thief, hey, you become a Christian, quit stealing, Get a job, make money, so you can provide for others. So even if you're like, I want to be single. <laughs> this, this already sounds too bad. I'm not that interested in women and kids if i got to provide this much. You're still supposed to be a producer and a provider. Okay, that ought to be our hearts. All right, now, I think most of us know this one. Okay, um, so let's go to the second point, okay, which would be protect. Okay, men are supposed to protect. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, when God told Adam to keep the garden, literally it has the idea of guard the garden, watch the garden, preserve the garden. And the garden, in a sense, was a place like the tabernacle. It was where God came and met with human beings. And again, God knew an invasion was coming, maybe even later that day, by Satan. And so part of Adam's job was to protect that place, to keep it sacred. Okay? And he failed. Now, 
Uh, he should have been the one that crushed the snake. I think we had men here cooking breakfast this morning, but just let's just imagine if the eggs have been scorched too many times in a row, and let's just say, let's just give up on this whole idea of men cooking. We've got some wives and moms who are great cooks. They'd love to cook, and some of the moms were here this morning. But they brought some of their little kids. And let's say there was a little four- or five-year-old boy running around, and his mom said, you know, son, stop that. Come in the kitchen. That's a good little boy. A little boy is supposed to obey his mom. Adam in the garden acted like a little boy. And he acted like Eve with his mama. And he just, you know, he didn't have pockets, but if he did, he had his hands in his proverbial pockets just standing there while Satan was tempting his wife. He didn't say anything, and he just followed her lead. Please hear my heart, more importantly the heart of the Bible. This is not about being a domineering leader in the home. It is about knowing when to stand up, put your foot down, and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To your wife, to your kids, in the right time, in the right way, in a winsome way having the courage to do that. And Adam didn't do it. And men were all tempted with that, right? Because sometimes the path of least resistance is just easier, right? Do I really want to fight this battle again? And you don't have to fight every battle, but you've got to fight some battles. You've got to be willing to stand up okay, in a way that Adam didn't. Now, there's a phrase in the Bible that's used three different times. Act like men. Again, not from a John Wayne movie, not from Clint Eastwood, okay? From God, Yahweh, in the Bible, act like men. The first example is in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9. And it's actually the Philistines. Some of y'all may remember this story. And it's when the nation of Israel brings the Ark of the Covenant into the battle camp. And they think, now God's with us, now we're going to win. And they start screaming like crazy. Probably sounded even louder than, you know, all the Scottish troops with Braveheart before they uh, attacked the English, and the Philistines are like, this is not good. A God has come into their camp. And what they say to each other is, act like men. Because if we don't, we're going to be slaves, and our family is going to be slaves. So, men are made to fight. You can be the most atheistic, materialistic person in the world, but here's the main difference okay, that's coming out in all this transgender sports stuff right now. Men, on average, just have 30% upper body strength. Part of that is so you can provide better. Part of that is so you can protect better. If there's a just war, Christians ought to be some of the ones that sign up first to fight. There's a godly time and way to fight, to stand, to risk, okay? Imagine you're in your house, and you're sick as a dog. You've got some kind of flu. You're literally in the bathroom, head over the toilet. And you hear someone downstairs breaking into your house. A man should never say to his wife, hey, baby, I'm puking, uh... Can you go see what's happening downstairs? You ought to wipe the vomit off your mouth, pick up your gun, and you go downstairs. Right? Your wife doesn't get involved until you're dead. Until then, you're the defender. It's written on our souls, brother. This should just be instinct. And everything in our culture is trying to push against this. And we need to push back. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 2. Do you remember this? This is when David is dying. And he's promoting Solomon. And part of what he says to him is, act like a man. Now the reality is, when we kind of talk about Braveheart and fighting a war and protecting our wives, probably our blood gets pumping a little bit. It's almost like I wish somebody would break in my house and try to hurt my wife, right? It's like I got a shotgun waiting for him, right? Most of us are probably, by God's grace, never going to have to actually do that, right? Praise the Lord. 
But there are going to be times we have to stand up in a leadership role and bear heavy responsibilities to protect the weak. Now, I don't know if you're Auburn, Alabama fans. I really don't care, all right? Even if you hate Alabama and hate Nick Saban, you've got to respect him. He's a great coach. He's a genius. Imagine if somehow they appointed you to be his successor. You're the next football coach at Alabama. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the expectation. That's a little bit like what young Solomon would have felt when King David, the gold standard of the Old Testament, was dying, and he gets to be the next king. At this point, he wasn't the wisest man on the planet. He didn't have any special experience. And part of what David says to him is, act like a man, son. It's going to be a heavy burden of responsibility. But don't shrink back. Step into it. Lead the people. Make wise decisions that will protect and bless the people. Okay? And then, probably most of you know this, if you go to the New Testament, again, this is not just an Old Testament command. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, same idea. Act like a man, but let everything that you do be done in love. And if you read the whole passage there, there's military language. Stand firm. And it's the idea of the Roman soldiers digging the spikes, you know, in their shoes into the ground so they can hold their ground. And this was more about church leadership, holding to theological accuracy, not like a jerk, right? Unfortunately, we do have some examples of that inside the church and out. People that speak up, but they do it in such an arrogant, self-promotional way. That's not what we're talking about. That's why it's so important. Act like a man. Be strong, but do everything in love. Okay. So, guys, just, just think about this with me for just a second. Where in your life right now is God asking you to bear the heavy burden of responsibility? Maybe to speak up in a way that's going to be hard. In a situation that won't, you probably won't get a lot of thanks. But you just know God's calling you to do it. Do it. Do it with strength. Do it with a smile. You don't have to be angry about it. But stand for the truth. The third point would be this, pursue. Now, where do I get this from? It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God says, here's the pattern for all of life. Boys grow up, they leave their mom and dad, and they go pursue a woman. They go take a wife. That's the norm. Now, isn't there a place for singleness? Yes, it's more the rare exception. Hey, if God calls you to it, more power to you, brother. You're in good company. Paul and Jesus, all right? But the norm is you're going to get married. So a lot of you young guys have heard me say this before. I don't care what the world says about dating. Be a man. If there's a girl you like, go up to her and say, hey, my name's Bob. I like you. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? And what's so significant about that is this. You're risking rejection. You're putting your foot out there first saying, I'm interested. And you're giving her the opportunity to say, I ain't interested in you. And that'll hurt. That's part of what it means to be a man. I'm willing to risk rejection. Now, most of the men here, I'm assuming, are married. So let me just say, the pursuit of a wife doesn't stop after you get married. Right? The reality is most of us are pretty good at pursuing a woman. We ain't got one and we want one. And then we get her, and it's kind of like we put her on the shelf. Done. What else can I pursue? A career? More hunting? you got to keep pursuing your wife in marriage, guys. What about when she started the fight? It's your move. You pursue her. What about when I started the fight and I feel like a loser? It's your move. You pursue her in repentance and humility. 
What about when she keeps giving me the cold shoulder? You pursue her. And what, what exactly does that look like in your context, right? Different relationships can look different ways. I don't know. But let me just give you one big summary that I think will be helpful for most of you. I know it's helpful for me. Don't just pursue your wife when you want sex because they're not dumb. They'll figure it out really quick. He likes sex a lot. I'm not sure he likes me a lot. Okay, it's not wrong to like sex a lot. Just make sure you love your wife more than you love sex. And pursue her. Plan date nights. I don't know. You know, show up on time when she's ready to leave to go to the Auburn graduation. Things like that. All right? That's the ways that you can pursue her. All right? And you say, but women are weird, right? I mean, that, that whole secular book I never read, but it had a great title, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It, it, it feels that way sometimes. It feels like they're an alien. And they would probably say the same things about us. That's no excuse. Enter into the mystery, men. Part of what a good, godly man does. And listen, we, my wife and I were doing pre-marriage counseling with a young couple one time. We got to the last meeting and said, anything else you want to talk about? And the man said, yep, I want to be an expert on women. And I just started laughing in his face. And uh, I said, listen, buddy, that's a job only for God. And I said, if you stay married to this woman for the rest of your life, which I hope you will, just figuring her out will be task enough. And I was done. I wasn't going to say anything more, right? And my wife chimed in and said, and oh yeah, guess what? And once you think you have her figured out, she'll change. Right? They're a moving target. It's not fair, right? I figured out the kind of gifts you like. And then she's like, yeah, I don't like those gifts anymore. It's not. Guys, a man says, I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to enter the mystery and pursue my wife even when she seems... Please hear my heart. Seems crazy. It's not crazy, but it feels that way every once in a while. All right. Now listen, I think most guys hear this idea of being a man, being a leader, having responsibility. And it's easy for our mind's eye to drift to kind of this picture of sitting on a throne, not a literal throne, but like the lazy boy recliner in the den. Hey, honey, go give me something to drink, please. Hey, bud, why don't you go clean your room? We're sitting there. I'm a leader. I give orders. People do what I say. And I kind of enjoy the benefits of sitting in my lazy boy throne. Biblically, that is not the best picture of masculinity. Listen, are there privileges that come with masculinity? Yes, I think so. Let's be honest about that. I think there's a lot more responsibility. Because the greatest man that ever lived... He was already sitting on a throne, metaphorically speaking. But he was willing to leave his father's throne above. Why? To come provide for his people, to come provide salvation. Even when it cost him his whole life. Right? He owned the responsibility. He finished it, and it did cost him his life. He said to his father, I'll take that responsibility, and I'll accomplish it, or I'll die trying. And he really did both. He accomplished it by dying. He protected us, how? By his blood. He came and finished the work that Adam never even started. He crushed the head of Satan for us. He pursued us sacrificially. When we were giving him the cold shoulder doesn't even begin to express it. We were dead in our sins, hateful enemies, and he pursued us even through the depths of hell for us. So, two thoughts and I'm done. Guys, Think about Christ, look at Christ, worship Christ, maybe with a slightly new perspective of He is the ideal man.
He is the one true man. He is the second Adam, the perfect man. And let that be inspirational to you. Let that motivate you. I want to be more like Jesus in my marriage, more like Jesus in my family, more like Jesus in my church, more like Jesus in my job, more like Jesus as a citizen of the country. But no, if, if, if that's all I said and we were done, that's a message of condemnation, isn't it? Because you're going to stumble and fall. So be inspired, be motivated, but even more important, know that He's not just your model, He's your Savior. And when you blow it, when you fall short, there is much grace that He has purchased for you at the cost of His blood, and you can rest in His finished work. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so inspired. We want to be motivated. We want to be holy. We don't want to be grace abusers. Make us into the men, into the leaders, into the daddies, into the husbands, into the businessmen, into the elders and deacons and servants and citizens you want us to be. I pray, Lord, specifically for every single guy here, if it would be your will that they would be married in the right time and the right way, direct them to the right woman to pursue. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.